Do you guys have any stories about when your prep went wrong? Prep went wrong. Uh, I have a story about uh my prep going out of the window. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, so I had all of my games and my notes in my backpack in my car, and someone did a classic smash and grab where you <laughs> smash the window and you just yank the stuff inside. And they stole all of my D&D notes, so I was unprepared. So that. you just, like, you had to cancel? Uh, I don't remember. I think so. I'm pretty sure we just canceled, and we yeah. did something else instead, and we just played board games. Yep. Which And also, a bunch of board games were stolen out of your car, too. Yes. Uh, oh. All of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. So. No. Let the lesson be, um, first of all, don't steal. Yeah, uh, stop it. A good uh, pirate never steals. <laughs> I don't think that's true. No, that's that meme from it's Jake and the Neverland Pirate. <laughs> uh, Alright, Jake, do you have a story? Um I'm trying to think. Um So I guess my thing is I found this out with my other podcast that I do, um, Historium. I have uh, just a really I'm terrible at predicting how long things will take. And so, like, I'll, I'll be making an episode for Historium, and I'll be like, oh, this will be, like, a 10-minute episode. And then it ends up being, like, a 25-minute episode. Or, like, oh, this one will be a long one, and it's like, okay, it ends up being, like, like short. Same thing goes for D&D. Like, I'll have my prep, but then I, I'm really bad at being, like, oh, this prep, this is good enough prep for three hours of gameplay. But then they do some clever maneuvering or whatever, and it's, like, done after, like, 45 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, and I'm like, oh. And so then we can go off into crazy, wacko uh, improv land, which oftentimes works great as well. Um, but other times I will just be like, all right, I think we're going to call it for the night. <laughs> and people are like, oh, the, the sun hasn't set yet. <laughs> oh, um, no. So, yeah, it's I guess for me, all of my, my failures in prep come with a poor estimation of how long uh, certain things will take. Okay. Well, I do have one, actually, that I just thought of. Okay. And it happened very recently. I'm running another group through the Tomb of Annihilation, so this is the second time I've run the adventure. Uh-huh. And it just is completely different than the last time I ran it, uh, partly because of the new prep techniques that I'm using that we will be talking about today. And I got to a point, it was like the third session, and... We got to a point where I realized I could no longer anticipate what they were going to do. And so I just prepped a little bit, and I was like, I feel like we're just going to waste a lot of time in this session. And I was exactly right. And so, like, I probably had one page of notes, and, and one of the players just punched a guard and got them arrested for the rest of the session, which I, I had prepped a jail scene, which is so funny. Oh, wow. um, and so it was the one time when like my minimal uh, unpredictability lined up completely, and I correctly predicted the unpredictability of the game. <laughs> that's the first time it's ever happened. Hmm. Oh, man, that's great. But was it because it was a self-fulfilling prophecy? I did not make him punch that guard. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. <laughs> I was w- hoping they would get out into Chult, and, and then I would, you know... That that is the most uh, DM response. I did not make you punch any town guard. (laughs) Stop! You violated the law. Pay the court a fine or serve your sentence. Your stolen goods are now forfeit. 
Then pay with your blood. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 54, Game Preparation and Session Notes. Let's talk prep. Oh, man. All right. So no so, flying by the seat of our pants. This not is Not today. Nope. We are preparing. Something I've had to learn to do. Ironically, uh, I had everything to... in life. <laughs> Unprepared. Ironically, I had to do a lot of preparation for this episode. So, uh, hmm. Is huh. that ironic or is it just expected? Or is it? Oh, yeah. Is that thematic? Hmm. A motif, perhaps? Oh, I, I have <laughs> a, uh, a, a question for both of you. And okay. I think it might cause a hot take to appear. Hot take, here we come. <laughs> Can you run D&D without any prep? Yes. Ooh. Okay. 100%. Right. Uh, yes. Can you okay. can you run a good game of D&D? Oh, you? that that might yes. change my answer. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes. 100%. Hmm. You can run a good game of D&D with no prep. But can you run a great game with mm. no prep? Yeah, probably I would not. Say no. Okay. Yeah, uh, I I agree with Jake's But answer. I think you can do a good game. I think that a lot of it has to come down to what you want out of a game, and the less that you can prepare, the less developed that your game is going to be. So it's going to be a hot and loose and fast game with a lot of random encounters and things like that if you're doing a minimal prep game compared to something that is like a fully developed campaign and story. It's going to have a different feel to it. So I guess that also comes down to what you're looking for in your game. Yeah, so... I agree with both of you, um, and it reminds me, there's this, I think it's some BuzzFeed YouTube series, um, right in, if you know it, and they get three, like one recipe, and they get three levels of expertise to make it, and they always have a, a beginner, an inter- oh, intermediate, yeah, yeah. and like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, like yeah. a chef, and it's like chocolate chip cookies, or like an omelet or something, and I think that it's Deity is cool kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, it is cool, because you see like the end product looks like visibly different, and it, it's obviously so much better if... There's more time and, and expertise applied into the creation of it. And I think you can have a totally serviceable omelet, let's say, just doing it quick and dirty and not knowing what you're doing. But it's so much better if you invest the time to make it great. Okay. So I, I completely agree with that, but also I'm going to flip this on – there's another BuzzFeed series called Worth It. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Where, you know, they have something that's like really cheap food of a certain type than, you know, an average oh, I love um, that show. cost of it's meal great. of a certain type and then like the super expensive version. Um, and it's like, yeah, a lot of times you see the crazy expensive thing. They're like putting gold flakes on it oh and using like expensive saffron spice and like all this stuff. Or caviar. And they're like, oh, this is good. But it's like they kind of have the same reaction as like when they're eating the super cheap macaroni and cheese from like a random – you know, place in a hole in the wall. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I think both of those metaphors can kind of exist simultaneously. Like you do have to put in a certain amount of prep, but at a, eventually you hit a level of diminishing returns. Oh yeah. Where it's like, if you're putting flakes of gold on it, it's like, okay, maybe we've gone too far. <laughs> well, so I, I think that we can distill this down into something else where it's about kind of nailing the underlying formula of what, D&D is rather than trying to put in a certain amount of prep. So you could have macaroni and cheese, but if you don't really know how to make macaroni and cheese to begin with, you can't really 
you can put in as much prep time as possible into cooking it, and it can turn out terrible. Hmm. Okay. But because you don't know yeah. what you're preparing, you don't know what you're doing, and the same thing goes with D&D. If you're not prepping the right things, or you're not, you don't really understand the flow of the game and what you're going to need out of your prep, then you're you might be wasting your time, even if you prep two or three hours. That's true. Really true. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's a good point. And I think for me, like expanding that even further is. God, I love you guys. I love how we just like pick a random metaphor and just kind of keep building <laughs> off of it in a strange contraption. <laughs> so continuing off of that metaphor, um, for me, I feel like I can nail a recipe, but I just don't know how many people are going to show up. Mm. So it's like me guessing how much food I need to make is kind of my hang up with prep that I feel like I could improve on. Mm. Interesting. Well, that, that makes sense because you don't want to make mac and cheese for 12 people when you have two show up. Exactly. What are you talking about? Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Eating it out of a popcorn bucket. Oh, oh, I made too much steak. I guess we'll have to throw it away. No, David. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. This metaphor is expanding out. Is there such oh, a thing as wasted prep? Keep pushing it. Oh, yes. That's very, yes. That's very true. Very true. Like, wait. I, I don't think there is. Oh, I disagree. There is yeah. definitely wasted prep interesting okay let's talk about this so i think like if you prep um maybe i'm not thinking about like lore and backstory and creation myths and apocalypse myths but like if you're if you build like a really cool encounter and they go left instead of right and they just miss that encounter like that encounter isn't wasted you can plug that you know well-crafted encounter in somewhere down along the line that's true yeah so that's not wasted Right, if that is the thing that you happen to have prepped. Um, we talked about this a lot on our world-building episode, uh, me specifically, on my soapbox, that so many DMs that I know waste their time making things that the players don't get a chance to interact with. And so, uh, in, in your case, Jacob, like, oh, well, I have like this half the dungeon that was missed, I'll just recycle it later. It's more like, oh, I have hyper-specific story beats that can only exist if the players go left and they went right, and now, like, the story has changed and whatever. Huh. Like... I think a lot of people prep to like, or they they do like almost like Matt Mercer level of detail where they they develop like towns and every single NPC in the town and the whole village, mm-hmm. and at <laughs> times it can be easy to like for none of that to become useful and to also miss some of the more important broad strokes because oh. you're so focused on these like fine little details that don't huh. necessarily come up. Yeah, very interesting. Oh. So, okay, um, I, I know we're getting all deep into this strange food metaphor that seems to hold up, mm-hmm. um, but let's get into the uh, the nitty-gritty. Um, for you, each of you specifically, what does your prep generally look like? Okay, so I'll go first on this. Um, and this has changed a lot because I have been seeking the perfect prep techniques for the whole time I've been playing D&D, which is right now in 2019, about 10 years, I think. Um, what I would do is I would write it almost like scene by scene. And this was me when I was bad, like doing it for my first year. Um, and I don't do that anymore. So my prep now, geez, what a, what an annoying answer I'm about to give. Um, <laughs> cause I, I've gone through this whole gamut of ways to do it. And the way I'm doing it now, uh, is different than I was doing even just earlier this year. Um, cause now what I do, and, and I'll talk about this in more de- detail later is, um, Sly Flourish has a book, his name is Mike Shea, uh, that, that teaches you how to prepare a game. And I've been doing those same steps and I get really good results every time. 
So to answer your question, I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> Until later. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh. <laughs> I think it's, for me, it starts with an idea of what I, it can, I can either be an encounter or it can be just a specific NPC. And then from there, I start to expand upon, you know, why would this, why would the party be interacting with this person? What are some hooks that I can bring in? Things like that. And then it's just kind of, it's almost like a tree where it's like growing roots in the ground and you start expanding off and into what I think I'll need and what kind of like the things that I think will happen in the game and stuff like that. But usually it starts with a pretty central idea and then goes from there. So your prep involves guessing hypotheticals? Uh, no, because I, so, the way I like, I feel like I'm more of like a railroad dungeon master. Ugh. Oh no, I, I would agree with but, this. I think but you not are, in a, like in a great way. And not in a bad way, but it's more of like I have an idea of where I want the party to go and I can lead them there. See, okay, I, I'm going to do a hot take now. I don't think that being a railroad dungeon master is a bad thing, especially with newer players. Um, and especially if people consent to being on the railroad. And being on the train tracks. So, like, yeah, I, I, we've, I think, Will, me and you can, can, uh, attest. We've been in David's games. And yeah, sometimes it's like, there is a, there is a kind of railroad track. And like, we can see it because we're both also experienced dungeon masters. And because we're friends with David and because we understand the kind of metagame of the narrative, we kind of consent to the railroad track. Yeah. And it, and it works. I think it but works for certain players and for a certain sure. decision this, points. This takes a lot of uh, knowing your group, knowing your table, knowing your party, um, because there are some people that want to head north, um, and there are some people who are like, Dungeon Master, where should we go next? <laughs> and that, that spectrum can can really change it, depending on where your party lies. Mm. But I think, like, if you know your players, and you, like, once you once you get a group of people that you know and you continuously play with, like, you can... You can make a railroad that they want to be on. Like the player that Whoa, wants to go yeah, north, yeah, yeah. like you can you can figure out what they want in a game and make a railroad track that's like, yeah, I want to go down this. And I think that just open world games don't appeal to me because they're like I don't like the idea of like players just going off in random directions because I think that's a waste of time. Because oh, I think that, okay, I think this that is interesting. Can, you can formulate this... a more efficient like game than just, like, letting people wander around and mess with the innkeeper all day. What? Okay, okay, this is very interesting. And this might stem from maybe you having less experienced players. Because, like, if you trust players, there's this beauty in, you know, say, like you said, them messing with the innkeeper. There's something beautiful about that, like, open world that, yeah, there is this, like, especially if you're playing with, Less experienced players is like, yeah, guys, this is my railroad. You can sit to being on it. Okay, you guys are following the path. And it's great, and it does amazing things. But I think to get a step up, you have to be like, okay, what do you guys want to do? There is no tracks. Just go nuts. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. No, no, no. I mean, like, I think that there is, like, there can be fun things where you uh, you kind of open it up. But I think that just takes more familiarity with your group because you kind of have to know how your group plays before you can open okay. up the world because I, you won't necessarily how know how to make an appealing world randomly mm -hmm. for people that you don't know who how to how they for play. sure no I, I think that's great advice like like you know tailoring your prep to your table 
Yes. But I also think, David, correct me if I'm wrong, like, it, your prep seems to be guess all the hypothetical uh, things that my players will do and prepare for those hmm. guesses. Uh, kind of. Well, I mean, <laughs> partially. It's yeah. more of like, I have specific, yeah, I don't think it's like, bad. beats yeah. or moments that I, like, want to have happen, and I try to, like, guide people into them in-game. Interesting. It's like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, the stuff is just going to happen somewhere as they travel down the road. And I mean, like, the huh. ride at Disneyland. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Oh, I'm getting that smell. Man, maybe... <laughs> uh, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> no, okay, so for my prep, um, I think I mostly prep... Um, so, it, this is so... This changes session to session, obviously. If you're you're prepping a mega dungeon, so many things are different than, like, prepping a town. Very true. Um, so, like, basically I prep really interesting encounters. Like, just things that raise the stakes. You know, like, okay, there's a baby crying. Or, oh, you hear, oh my god, my husband's been kidnapped. Or anything that's, like, kind of this sense of urgency. Because... Unless you have very experienced, very social players, it's hard to kind of wrap them in this kind of web of intrigue. It's way easier to be like, okay, there's a baby crying, or oh, someone's saying, oh my gosh, this orc just killed my whole herd. You know, like, all of these things are so much better at attracting their attention than like, oh, you uh, you see a wanted poster with a, a little bit of blood on the bottom left corner. Hmm. And it's like, that's pretty cool, but it's like, that's going to take like months of investigative work to figure out like what the plot <laughs> yeah, point is yeah. here. Um, so I think just having uh, in-your-face plot hooks uh, just readily available, I think I have a list of those and then also a list of hypothetical um, uh, NPCs uh, with just – normally it's NPC, backstory, and like side quest they offer. Hmm. Um, and so having that – and then we will definitely talk about this – um, later. I think we've already talked about it, but Will, your uh, method, I don't know where you found it, has immensely helped me with uh, names, because I'm pretty bad at being like, oh crap, what's their name, or what's the name of this place? Um, but having the A, B, C, D, the whole alphabet, and then oh, making yeah. a random word oh, yeah. for each one, I don't know what that system's called or where you found that, but that has immensely helped me um, to just always have a crazy fantasy name prepared for anything. Mm -hmm. The guy who wrote the Edge of the Empire game. Um, oh, I'm a fan of him. Well, maybe it's, it's not that important. Um, but that's who who did it. Is the guy who developed that game. Yeah. Um, no, I, I really. It, it's. I, it feels like. Yeah, there is this kind of. If someone goes, oh yeah, he's he's from my hometown. I'd be like, what's what's your hometown? And they're like, ah, uh, there's this whole kind Clarksville, of Clarksville, Massachusetts. Yeah, <laughs> Clarkstown, Tun Mc. Townville, and it's just like uh, <laughs> it's so much better yeah. if you just have like, um, oh, he's from the Citadel of the Ashes. <gasps> oh, it's like oh, we're already good, <laughs> right? Like, like <laughs> having good. stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's so oh, it helps so much. And I've I've kind of gotten away from that because I'm I've just been lazy, but that mm -hmm. little bit of prep is like so worth it. So that that's it's that's big. a big part of mine. Um, having kind of a list of random names prepared for whatever. Yeah, and I'm still really trying to think through if I had a unified system for prep because every game is different and every party is different. And yeah. even, like, session to session, I'm like, okay, like, 
for instance, if you're running a pre-made adventure, then all you really need to do is read the adventure, and then you're more yeah. or less set. Like, that's 90% of the prep. And then the rest of it is just figuring out how to involve the players. Yeah. All right, so I've, I've hinted about it long enough. Uh, I'm going to go through Sly Flourish's prep techniques, and I know he would approve this being on the show because he has put this info out freely on the Internet because he just wants GMs to be better GMs. Um, so if you want to find it, uh, you can get it for free. He has a free sample chapter online, and it will have all this information. That's Mike Shea. I love you. You're great. Uh, find him on Twitter, whatever. You can Google him. He's great. Yep. Um, so this is from his book called Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. I've talked about this in the previous few episodes, as long as I've been doing this technique, and it's changed everything. So um, he is a big data and research guy. He does a lot of straw polls on Twitter, and he's a big like A-B tester of just techniques. And so this book distilled down what I consider some of the, the most amazing wisdom you can get for Dungeon Masters, like from Dungeon World, which you need to read the DM section of that if you haven't. Oh, um, yeah. From yeah. Numenera, from, like, anyway, it's he's taken it all and he's distilled it down into these, I think, uh, what's, ten steps, one? Eight steps. Um, and he would advise you that you don't have to do all of them and you don't even have to do them in this order, but this is just sort of a starting point that's going to get your head around it. So I'm going to review these and uh, and you guys can comment as you desire. So, the um, first step uh, is review the characters because D&D is a game about the characters, the players' characters. Yes. And so reviewing them is step one because you're like, what are their motivations? What did they do last time? What are their armor, stats, or magic items, whatever? Like you just get them in your mind. Okay, I think this is a great, um, especially first step. Because it really is like you have so much ammunition um, if your your players have done character creation right. There's so much stuff in their backstory or whatever that can be brought up. Um, and I love each session, like reviewing the characters and kind of picking one to highlight. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe even two, but just like picking one. Um, and even something I found out that it's really great is um, I've started having uh, like uh, pre-roll scenes and like post-credit scenes. <laughs> because of the like expanded universe that my world has turned into of like hey what's this random uh old player doing right now or oh crap what is this old villain up to now and it's really cool to kind of um have those capping the the ends um but uh i think sending a text to a player and being like hey listen up man uh zorak is going to be highlighted in this uh session so just be be wary for that <laughs> and you can you will tell that the player playing Zorak will be super invested, like ready for his moment. Um, mm. And that's something I think is really valuable to like look at your character's arcs and kind of highlight one and even let them know like, hey, something in your backstory might come up or whatever. Let them know independently of everyone else. And you can just see the, the spark in their eyes of like, oh, it's my time to shine. It, it's great. That's really good. Any thoughts, David? I mean, I think that's a great idea, especially if you're running a longer campaign. Just, like, highlighting individual characters throughout the campaign is a great idea because it kind of helps build their character and you really get to see them in a different light. And, mm -hmm. it, and, it, and yeah, and shining a spotlight is, is a great idea. So, yeah, I I stand for it. And obviously, if you're playing, like, a session zero or a one-shot, you just get the step because you don't know the characters yet. Yeah, and so yeah. kind of each of these can kind of 
be pulled in or or, uh, or out as needed. Uh, the next step after reviewing the characters is create a strong start. And it seems so obvious to me, but once I started doing it and like intentionally planning, like um, yes, think of Star Wars or think of Indiana Jones. Like there's always a cool first scene that just hooks you into the movie. Yeah. And, and so often, and, and I'm so guilty of this, I have this really weak or very quiet start of like, and now you're shopping in town, time to role play. Like, that's not exciting at all. Dude, yeah, yeah. And then, okay, talking about what I said in the first part, um, yeah, this is why I really like kind of like pre-roll scenes and like po- post-credit scenes because they kind of provide this um, like, oh, oh, we are in the action. You know, mm-hmm. like, like what if the first scene is just a villain monologuing to his uh underlings mm. you know and you kind of get them you, you you allow them to see that you know but you, hopefully they won't metagame or like but but they just get to get a glimpse of that and it makes it more cinematic um but yeah i think creating a strong start is super important um one thing that i've uh implemented that i think is, is super fun is oftentimes ending on a cliffhanger mm. um especially ending on the cliffhanger of you see the monster crack open from the carapace in front of it. Just, roll initiative. Okay, we're done for tonight. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like it's like, like, and and that's I, I felt has has been really good because it's a strong end, it's a strong mm-hmm. cliffhanger, and it's a good start, a good strong start to the next session because it's just combat. Yeah, and, and so, combat is a great way to start. Exactly. So, so I found that kind of like forcing in media res of combat in the beginning of a session could just be a good cliffhanger at the end of the previous session. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, next is outline potential scenes. And sometimes you don't need to do this, but I, uh, so I was prepping Tomb of Annihilation and I was just reading through because Mike Shea says you, you just need to read the adventures you're running. And I realized that I had not read Tomb of Annihilation nearly to the degree that I really should have. Oh. Um, and there's a um, – in the old town, kind of the northeastern part of Port Nianzaru in the city, there is this long like swimming pool type of pit. And when you're going to be executed in their justice system, they throw you oh. into the pit with a bunch of dinosaurs, and there's a Is ladder out on run? the other side. Yes. And there's a ladder yeah. on the other side, and if you make it there, then you're free to go. And yeah, you're this, innocent. Yeah, it's just like this little aside like detail, and I was like, Dude, I'm, I'm going to write a scene around Executioner's Pit. Yes! That's such a good one. That's a great example, too. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. yeah that's I, I think... Like, as a dungeon master, there are things, like, even if you see, I know I'm really guilty about this, like, I'll see a movie and see, like, a really fantastic concept or scene, and I'll be like, I want to implement that into, um, and my players will sometimes, you know, catch up on it. But I feel like, <laughs> yeah, if you have, like, a really cool scene, you're like, okay, this is a hostage scene where you have to protect the, you know, the the, the hostage. Or like, oh, okay, this is a really interesting scene where you're going to fall off a waterfall at the end. Oh, like, yeah. Whatever that, like, really cool core of, like, a uh, tense, dramatic moment is, find a way to work that in. And, like, really make it a priority, too. And, you know, you don't have to really shove them onto the railroad tracks. But um, bringing up tension in a variety of ways, is, I-, I think, is, you know, critical to being a great dungeon master. Is finding those cool scenes that you just want to implement. Yeah, and, and then you're looking for opportunities to bring them into the story without, like you say, shoving them onto the track. Yeah, yeah. 
Next is develop secrets and clues. And I've learned, because um, he doesn't tell you this in the book, but he said it, I think, on Twitter, that he was playing through Dark Souls. And in that game, you get little snippets of the lore from playing the game. You find bodies and signs. I haven't played the game, so I'm not really that familiar, but he liked how there were secrets that you have to get by playing the game. And so he has you write out a list of 10 discoveries, 10 secrets, that the players will find somehow throughout the game. So it's like, oh, you find a letter on a, on a dead body. Like, I could improvise it and do some ironic, like, oh, like, I'm quitting the bandit gang tomorrow, honey. Can't wait to marry you. Like, that's the joke that we just do all the time. Um, uh, or you could actually look at your notes and be like, oh, my gosh, like, this this is the start of some, like, deeper mystery that you can, oh. whenever information comes out, you can just sprinkle this in here. And it's already preconceived and really good. Yeah. See, I kind of like that, where it's... Like, that's definitely something that I don't do at all, is having any sort of, like, secrets or mysteries or clues. Mm -hmm. And I also like the idea of having, like, information that's, like, character-specific. Like, mm -hmm. only one person picks up on it, and it's, like, kind of a secret to them. Oh, yeah. Like and they, and then it's, it's they're free to, you know, share it with the party, but it's, like, kind of building the world with the individual players, but, like, you're still playing collectively. Yeah. And you're not, yeah. like, you're not trying to separate the party. It's no. just kind of, like... Mm -hmm. That's good. I, I think that really helps type characters into the world. And this is the uh, the rule or the, the advice tidbit that Mike always says is his the most important thing to do. And he even goes as far as to say, don't reuse your secrets from session to session, which I think is so interesting. Because it takes yeah. you like two minutes to write out ten of these. And so he says, yeah. like, just write more because it will get your creative juices flowing. Interesting. Yeah, it, like, I, I love that. Because I've used this, but mostly this, for me, is tied to uh, a later hint, um, a later thing about NBCs. I normally tie um, secrets and clues and, like, uh, misinformation to NPCs. And be like, okay, this guy's racist towards Dragonborn. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, this guy's definitely sure that the uh, the hidden emerald is in the shipwreck to the north. You know, like, like random stuff like that, that, yeah, it really makes characters, uh, uh, NPCs feel real when they have kind of information to, to give and information that they're just, you know, like drunkenly talking about at a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, really adding these, especially when they disagree with each other, <laughs> um, adding these secrets and clues and like, uh, misinformation all together in this pot, um, you have to be careful because if you put too much, people will just ignore all information because there's just too much. Mm -hmm. But if you have a certain amount of clues and stories and um, bits of information that come in, the players, especially attentive players, will be like, oh, yeah, okay, we got to figure out this. Or, oh, is this guy lying about this? And it makes it so good. So good. Right. And it sounds like you have more in misinformation in your uh, your stuff. Um, he doesn't say to do yeah. that, but that's an interesting twist of like, you know, I love the, um, the unreliable narrator trope where, um, yes. there's, there's an ogre in these woods and it's, it's not at all an ogre. And, it's and, a ghost <laughs> ogre. No, like, <laughs> oh my god, the best monster in the monster. <laughs> or maybe no, it was a like, troll, ghost troll. A ghost troll, ghost troll. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, like I really like, um, I think when people... I don't know, when people realize that, oh, yeah, the NPCs can lie to you. Like, that moment is a very, like, it's a world-building moment. Because you're like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, these are real people that can lie. Because or most get of the things time, wrong. For sure, for sure. Like, like yeah, being wrong about things. Because most of the time you, you think of, like, um, 
I don't know, like uh, quest giver NPCs in like World of Warcraft or Skyrim. And it's like you don't think of them as like deceptive or like like defying their programming. I don't know. Mm. Whereas like if you have a living, breathing D&D world, there's going to be people that are wrong about stuff or just straight up want to deceive you about something. I think Matt Colville is the one who said that his NPCs don't know the difference between gnomes and halflings and dwarves. And so they just they call everybody a dwarf. And I was like, that's so interesting. It's so simple. Because, like, yeah, yeah. why would an idiot peasant know the etymology of every creature and every fantasy Definitely. race in the world? Because there's people in my town now who, who don't know the names of, like, basic things, right? So it's funny that NPCs so often wind up as it being as intelligent as the dungeon master. Yes, that's a mistake, I think. That's a mistake. It's an easy one, too. Like, I mean, I can think of a lot of different podcasts or whatever I've listened to where, like, every NPC <laughs> is kind of this woke <laughs> kind of, like, right. oh, oh, yes, that's the uh, uh, silver tiefling that uh, walked amongst the silver trail to the north. And it's like... <laughs> a thousand years ago. Yeah, it's like, that's... This guard wouldn't say that. No. Why is there He'd so much education? Like, oh, that whole devil walk that way. You know, like <laughs> that's all he would know. <laughs> right. He doesn't know history and yeah, and yeah. lore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next is develop fantastic locations. And to explain this, I'm going to sort of a reference or misquote something George R. R. Martin said when he was writing Game of Thrones. Is he said, "I want every castle to be memorable." And they all have a name, and my my readers will remember the names, and they all look different. And and sure enough, damn it, he did it. Because <laughs> yes. King's Landing is so so different than the Erie, which is so different than Winterfell. And you, it's not even a challenge to remember this because they're visually like if you've seen the show, just completely different flavor yeah. and vibe is different. So um, this is kind of where he's going with this developing fantastic locations is um, so often. So in D and D, you really will have. There's scenes like players will be in environments for a certain length of time, and so they're like they're in the town for 45 minutes in real time, and then they're at the waterfall for half an hour, and so you, he he has kind of a formula for working out like how many things you need to prep, but he says just make them fantastic, because so often it's like oh and you find um, a clearing in the woods and there's nothing cool about it, but it's like if you find a clearing in the woods that has a giant monolith stone with like blue runes carved in it. Like, that's memorable. And nothing really changed about it. Like, no. You like, alter the world. It's just like, oh, this is ancient monolith. Like, oh, do you speak celestial? No. Okay. No, whatever. You don't know. <laughs> and it's fantastic. And the players might remember that. It matters. Yeah. Oh, might. They definitely will. Like, that's the... I think we've, we've harped on this horn quite a bit about, like... <laughs> Anytime you make something, make it to where they're not, you know, even if it pains you as a dungeon master, if they go, what was that guy's name? Oh, he was the, oh. the, the bartender with a stutter. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they know that, that's so much better than them being like that one random bartender, you mm-hmm. know? So if they go, oh, that clearing with the big monolith, that's so great. You know, even if they don't go, oh, is that the clearing in the Zindian wasteland with the, uh, the monolith <laughs> to Gargoth, the, uh, the crew? Wow. So, you know? It's like, even if they don't get that, if they get the the big, fantastic elements of it, you're nailing it. Like, that is a good Dungeon Master. That is a good, evocative location. Mm-hmm. I would like to say that, uh, I'd like to clarify and say that not every location has to be, like, fantastical. Like, it just has to be notable. 
So oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that like you don't have to have like every castle with glowing gems like encrusted, dripping magic, dripping with magic. But it could just be like you could have a castle just that is slowly being overtaken by moss and vines. That great, yes, has has yeah, a that's misty great. aura about it, and it's that's like that's so that's good. very different than just like a castle, right? That, owned okay, that's by Rhaegar, Rhaegar King. Like it, it yeah. doesn't have to be fantastic. It has to be notable. Yeah, and I think that's that's the main point. Like they go, oh yeah, we got to go back to that place. It's ruled by liches. That's like, um, you know, a bunch of silver skulls in a circle. You know, well, like just yeah. So even even, even notable, it's like things. it's such a lame um, adjective. Uh, I would say just make it memorable. Yes, memorable. memorable. Oh, that's okay. that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. For all the reasons that we've we've said. Definitely. Uh, um, okay, moving on is uh, outline important NPCs. And we talked about this a little bit in our NPC episode where it's like have three, it was kind of our rules, just to have three of them. Um, but depending on the, the scenes and the stories and the, the adventure you're running, if it's homemade or, uh, or prepped out of a book, um, just like knowing here's their motivation, here's their connections, like here's their like kids in, in one case in, in Port Nianzaro, they were interacting with the, the lords of the city. Yeah. And it was really helpful just having like, okay, like I really only care about these two lords, and so I need to learn everything about them. And here's an outline just so I can reference on my notes and not have to dig through D&D Beyond, uh, you know, word search. So it was really helpful. Yeah. This is um, – I use this probably the most – like most of my prep goes into this, into NPCs. And mm. I'll put their name, their accent, um, their detail, which is like their one thing that they can reveal to the players if the players are somewhat charismatic towards them. Um and that has solved everything. Like that has been like a, a really effective way to to have several different NPCs. And mm. oh, like it's so fun to be like, okay, this is this crazy um, <laughs> centaur with a uh, a strange uh, Cajun accent, and it's like, oh, this is this <laughs> high elf with a very um, English accent, or this is this dwarf with this gross, um, bloody Southern American accent. Like <laughs> there, there are so many different options and it's like, like having those available, it, it's helped me immensely, especially just with having the name, because a lot of times it'd be like, Oh, Hey, I want to talk to the other bartender. And I'll be like, Hello there. What's oh. going on boy. Oh, and and they're like, that. and they're like, what's his name? And I'll be like, Oh, you know, like Gregor Crander. <laughs> Cranders. <laughs> yeah, that's where, yeah, it, it's so easy to have like name, how they sound. Um, this is something that blew my mind with uh, listening to the new Critical Role and Matt Mercer. <laughs> these players have the ability to cast um, Sending, which they can talk to anyone they've ever met, ever. Oh. And... Matt, as a dungeon master, has to have, like, pretty strict notes of, like, <laughs> how this NPC sounded. Because, like, they can – like, they've randomly chose to talk to the captain of the city guard at, at some random city they were once at. Or, like, talk to some random – like – and so it's, like, that's why having the accent, like, having the the, the, the character um, written down is, is very important. Yeah, and I think that um... – so all these rules are super important, but like you said, Jake, this one really rewards prep 
Because, like, we can make him an NPC in two seconds. It's like, oh, hello, that. How you do? You know, whatever. Um, which is terrible. Yeah. yeah. My name's yeah. Granda. <laughs> Um, or you could be like, you know, I have 20 NPC, like, options here. Like, I have every memorable voice from every video game I've ever played. Like, here's the, the rebooted Lara Croft, and here's, yes! uh, uh, the character from Mass Effect who's, wears a mask all the time. Oh my gosh, I've forgotten her name! No! <laughs> oh, what is her name? Is it... Taldi? Taldi? Tally. Tally? Tally. Or here's Nicholas Cage and Green Face Fate. Oh my god. <laughs> Bring it back. No, like I think I think it's really important to have that because there is this kind of like leg to stand on, and even if it's very specific to you, um, to be like, okay, um, Mrs. Johnson from third grade, right? Like even though that's like no one reading your notes would understand that you reading that are like, oh, okay, hey there, kiddos, what's going on? You know, like you can like easily. So yeah, I guess this speaks to a general more meta when you're writing notes. Um, be specific to yourself and be as quick as you can, be as meta as you can. Yeah, nobody's yeah. gonna be reading them except for you. Yeah, so. no one is yeah, no <laughs> one is grading you. <laughs> um the last two uh I have actually not done, and if you're doing a pre made adventure you don't have to do. And that is choose relevant monsters. Um which is makes sense. Like, oh I'm in the jungle, I need some jungle type monsters for their challenge level or whatever wherever you are. And then select magic items, which is always fun. Yeah, I feel like this. Okay, so doing uh, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, these are the two that I've done probably the most recently. Really? Um, because yeah, there. So I had to shorten the Mad Mage by a lot. So I'd pick like, what are the best monsters? What are the best rooms? What are the best um, scenes, scenarios to have the players in? Um, but especially the magic items. Oh man, it feels so good. To uh, have, like, just a pile of treasure, you know? It sucks when your players, like, find something. You're like, oh, you come across this horde of this, uh, you know, ancient silver dragon's treasure. And they're like, oh, what's in it? It's like, okay, it's like uh, 15,000 gold and a bunch of gold. Hmm. And it's like, oh, it's so much better if there's, like, all these weirdly specific magic items waiting for them. So I think these are, you know, kind of icing on the cake, cool stuff to have. And uh, probably the best part of this technique is that it's designed to work in an hour. So yeah. It's super targeted and focused. And if you notice, there's no step here that's like, outline the history of all the cosmos starting 10 billion years ago. No, this is <laughs> yeah hyper-focused, and it will yeah. result in you having what a, is necessary. a game. Yeah. I have a um, – I don't know if it's a hot take. Let's call it like a, a slightly warm take. That there's such a thing thing. as post post game prep. How can you prepare for something that has already happened? (laughs) The philosophical question of the ages. Um, So what this is, what this is for me is that because I for a time I was running two campaigns at the same time, and I think rarely I've actually run three simultaneously. And that is just you have to write down what happened immediately, like no more than. Either that same night, if you if you can manage it, or the next day, because a week later you're like, um, so in my case, I was running Lost Mine of Fandelver for two separate groups, and at one point three, and it's real easy to get those wires crossed of like, so which ones did they kill? What happened with their red brand ruffians? You know, um, and so just like, just make a bulleted list, 
boom, boom, boom. Here's what happened. You're done. You can do it in five or ten minutes. Oh, yeah. No, like I think this is hard for me. And I think most of the times people will be like, oh, can we talk to Delvin? And I'll be like, what? Who? He'll be like, Delvin. I'm like, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Delvin was like my, my father figure that I grew up with. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. No, like that's uh, – I think this is really important. Just for me, especially with my, my players in a very urban setting who are meeting, you know, hundreds of townsfolk, you know – each time they meet someone, you go, okay, they meet, okay, Delvin, he has an Irish accent, boom. Yeah, that, that sort of thing is, uh, is incredibly important. Because, yeah, it does seem amateur. It's like, oh, you guys, you want to meet with Delvin? Okay. What was he again? What did he do? <laughs> yeah, remind me, thing? what did he sound like? And they don't, the players <laughs> won't remember unless it was, like, hyper-memorable. Yeah, and even if they do remember, it's going to be just a, a uh, hilarious... <laughs> improv to try to figure out what it was again. So yeah, I, I'd say this is very important. Um, I think I need to be better about this, about like, you know, assuming, okay, this is like, I, I feel so solid about my world and my city and the canon that like, sometimes they'll go back to random, you know, city guards or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is a named player. And I forgot how I role played them last time. That's, that's so that's, tough. It's a big Cause, bummer. Because from what I'm understanding, Jake, it sounds like you at this point in your world history, in your game, uh -huh. you should have a spreadsheet or something, like some very detailed document, and it just doesn't exist. No, I probably should, yeah. But, but I have to say, how much has we, already we've, forgotten? We've talked about this before. I feel pretentious doing that. Well, if it's just you know, for like, you... Like, it's pretentious if you write something like that with the intention of sharing it, just like to show how cool you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I probably should be more, um, yeah, definitely. I need to be more proactive, assertive about that. Yeah. And then here's my, um, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second, just for a very short time, and say, here's my life hack advice of this episode. Any task that can be done in less than two minutes should be done immediately yeah. including in this kind of just note taking and then um my last thought on the post game prep which it kind of crosses over into just regular prep at that point is um if you're going through your week and you you have this random like D, D thought pop into your head um just write it down but once again if it's it's gonna take you less than two minutes like you're like oh this is a cool idea for a fight like let's stand on top of pillars over lava and, and like lightsabers and you know you were the chosen one and then like, <laughs> Write that down, write that down. <laughs> I loved you, Anakin. You are the chosen one. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I went right to that, but. I was wondering, well, well where did that come from? Hello, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I Lucas. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I, I think a lot of ideas have come to me, like in the shower or just like, like pacing my home thinking of what would be the greatest thing to happen mm -hmm. and yeah you have to to write that down you can't just be like okay i'll store that up there and this hypothetical thing will be settled then it's like no no, no. like write it down get a google doc get whatever um and like i was talking about earlier there is no wasted prep in the way of like like kind of just idea generation hmm. because those ideas no matter how crazy could amount to something awesome later on and and i guess that now like hearing you say it that way i think i agree with that part of it where even if you have a very 
super specific, um, like, oh, well, because the players are interacting with this NPC and they're in this town at this time, like, there's going to be this thing happening. But almost every idea is recyclable. So yeah. just write it down and, and use it again. It'll always be there, yeah. It'll Put in the hopper. In the yeah. hopper, yeah. Right, so we've talked a lot about the specific process of preparation. Is there any closing thoughts you guys have on uh, on just preparation as an idea? I, I think, honestly, I need to be better at it. I just, well, I don't know. I, I don't know, Jake. You're pretty good at D&D, so... You know. <laughs> no, no, so the whole thing is like, okay, if you don't study at all, you'll get a C. Mm-hmm. If you study for five minutes, you'll get a B. <laughs> if you study for an hour and a half, you'll get an A. Yeah. Like, I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I'll study for five minutes and get a B. I'm fine. Like, it gets diminishing returns to study that much for an A. Yep. And it's like, that's the, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to rely less on improv and be like, okay, let's let's really nail out a kind of more planned out thing. Yeah, at least, you know, at least with the steps that I've outlined, uh, once again, special yeah, thanks to Mike Yeah, just have more ammunition for improv. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's really ammunition for improv, not, you know, rails to shove your party into. Mm-hmm. It's just ammunition for improv. Well, so um, now that we're done talking about all of the uh, the ways that we prep, um, I want to talk about the practical ways that we store that prep. Uh, yes. We're talking about session notes. So I got a hot question. I, I, <laughs> maybe it's just a regular question at this point. I don't think it's that hot. <laughs> Ouch! Um, if you were to write something down, are you guys physical notebook people or digital notebook people? I'm physical, hands down. Hmm. Everything I do is post-it notes. Post-it like, notes? <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Post-it so, notes! Post-it! So, <laughs> so, normally when I write a campaign, there's like a big, kind of like standard college-ruled sheet. And I put the big themes and stuff, and the big cities, and the big NPCs. And then everything that the party changes, I just smack on a post-it note with a bunch of information on it. And so I've looked back at my past campaigns, and they're just, like, standard college rule paper with, like, 60 post-it notes, like, shoved on it. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm – same way with – I'm kind of opposed to D&D Beyond. I am kind of a physical purist in that way. A physical purist. I like that. Yeah, I like the tangible – no, you I'm the know, same way. Like, I, I need to have, like, physical, like, written down stuff. Although, I'm a fan of D&D Beyond and the app version. So there's a lot of really cool things that you can do with that. As well as, uh, there's some, like, digital note stuff that you just, you can't do physically. So, like, part of it I'll prepare digitally and part of it I'll prepare physically. But I like to do as physical. I like to do a lot of it physically just because, like, that's how I think in my workflow. I don't know. There's something about the tangibility of writing something down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so I definitely am very much pro D&D Beyond. Um, however, I I've also used digital tools so much, so so much, and and I think there's pros and cons of both. Um, but for for where I'm at, and we'll get to my specific uses, um, I think that writing by hand is just better for uh, for two reasons. The first is retention and memory, because there really is something like scientifically happening um, 
forming brain connections between writing with your hand and then remembering it later. And I, I can't cite my sources, but if you just Google, you'll I don't know what it is. It's just different it. than typing. Yeah, like, you it remember may, it better. It doesn't make sense. Retention is yeah. literally better. Um, the other thing is that because it's slower and there's less space, you have to really think about what you're going to put down. Like, the page is limited. Like, I can open up um, whatever favorite, you know, word processor is, and I can copy and paste humongous blocks of text from d and Beyond right into my notes. But then when you're referencing it at the table, you haven't done the work of condensing. And so now you have to do it at the table, and it slows things down. Very interesting. Yeah. So, okay, are we all here opposed to kind of digital resources or – well, so I'm not opposed. Um, I just think that, because like I said, I've used Evernote to prepare my notes for, gosh, six years now probably. And I've I recently moved away from it um, because it's, okay, it's just cooler to have this physical artifact that has like, here's all of my notes for the campaign yeah. I ran in like 2016. Dude, dude, yes, yes. Like I have this this huge, you know college ruled page but there's like so many sticky notes on it and like occasionally a sticky note will fall off and i'll be like okay that's dark Noth, the destroyer <laughs> i'm like oh that's from my old rise of tmag campaign whoa you know and oh, it, yeah, it does that. feel like this kind of collection of alterations that yeah oh and yeah. I, th- I think because D&D is this intangible experience that only exists in the minds of the people who participated, um, having a physical artifact to remember it by yeah. is so important. Yeah, I mean, that's why in my games, whenever you're, like a character dies, we tend to burn the character sheet. Because it is the, the physical manifestation being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, so... Okay, we have to talk about the, kind of the digital... Um, the digital webscape, um, because I've introduced to my friends who have absolutely loved it. And for me, honestly, campaign planning has been better with D&D Beyond because of the hyperlinks and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, so let's talk about that. Like the, the whole digital, which I was very afraid of going into. <laughs> well, so I don't think these exist in opposition at all. Cause like I said, one is a reference tool and then one is like actually you, putting information down into somewhere to store it. And I think being able to say like, oh, this monster has this spell-like ability, and then you click the spell and you can read it. Um, I know, because I have my, when I run my game, I have my laptop open with D&D Beyond, and so it's like, oh, they can cast Phantasmal Force, and I have that in my notes. And I'm like, well, what does that do? I type it in and I have it. And I didn't have to go looking through a book, and I didn't have to write up the spell text in brief by hand either. So these these things work together. In unison. Trying to copy and paste a whole monster block into your notes is just super annoying. So just being able to be like, this is the monster, and then look it up on D&D Beyond mm-hmm. when I get to that part of the session. Like, that's super handy. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 so much easier than trying to fit it all in your notes and have a whole like page of notes just dedicated to monster stats. Right, and then you're scrolling and scrolling um, just to like get to the... The stuff that's not copy and pasted. And then the part where you can reference stuff on the fly because maybe you forgot to record that this monster has the sleep spell and then you want to go cast it and then you have to look it up. Where in D&D Beyond it's just one click mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, that's sleep. That's what it does. Or maybe uh, maybe you're trying to look up a magic item that it has or any sort of like reference. Like it's all hyperlinked together so that you can just 
click on it and click through it. And it's super handy to have that kind of like reference ability in your games just at the snap of a finger. Mm -hmm. Then trying to look everything up on your own. Okay, so regardless of format of if you're writing things down or jotting them into Evernote or Google Docs, um, what is like kind of some pro tips for formatting prep? You know, because obviously, you know, copy and pasting a huge monster stat block is just cumbersome and oftentimes it's a ridiculous. Um, what are kind of the things you're looking for into formatting um, kind of skim friendly notes? Well, so I mentioned this before of being – you said it. It's skim-friendly. Um, less is more. And so if I'm reading through and, – and Watsi is really guilty of doing this where let's say one of the NPCs from Port Nianzaru because it's on my mind. It's recent. And here's their <laughs> entire life history and all their relationships. And I can read that and boil that down to like three or four bulleted points. Yeah. And – like I said, probably I've, less. I've conned- yeah, probably less. Like as far as meaningful and useful at the table information, it's probably less. Um, or I could just have the entire block, and then I'm like reading and skimming at the table, and then you get things wrong. Um, so it's almost like you get your critical thinking. It it is truly prep at that point because you've digested the big ideas into <laughs> into the succinct note. Huh. I, I'm I'm trying to think. For me, like there are. I don't know. Skimming down monsters is much more easy. I think because I have this kind of open mindset when it comes to monsters, like I will edit the AC or the damage done. But really, you look at a monster and it's like, what's their armor class? How much damage do they do? Mm-hmm. And then what is their, you know, plus to hit? Yeah. And that's really it, unless there are spells involved, which just yeah. requires a general knowledge of 5e and spells. Yeah. Um, but those things, and especially the levers you can pull on those things to like make the AC higher or make them hit harder, um, yeah, I, I think like that's that's really all you need. You don't need like okay, they're resistant to stealth checks or like I, I don't know, like that that stuff can kind of be stored into a compartment <laughs> doesn't have to be copied down. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you can logically role play monsters without like the whole. Uh, all their weird condition immunities and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of compactness and information density reduction. Um, and chances yeah. are, like if I'm running a monster, I'm just gonna have the D and D Beyond tab open with their stats for the fight, and then I close it and I I move on. Um, yeah, yeah. So all this is, I don't want to sound like we're just these digital notebook haters, because I've used a digital notebook. No, I feel like you guys are way like, because I feel like I'm a Amish dungeon master <laughs> compared to you guys. <laughs> and like, here's like, okay, so I introduced my friend to D&D Beyond via, you know, like I get to log in. Here's like, I would never buy D&D Beyond, but you sh- shared your password, whatever. And I've used it and it's been great. And friends have seen that in D&D Beyond and have bought their own for oh. their other groups. Oh, and so it's cool. evangelical. And I went to my friend who I was a dungeon master for and he created his own group and has a, you know, a bunch of other people. And he's like, Hey, do you want to be a guest player? And I showed up with a piece of paper and a pencil and every single one of them had an iPad and access to D and D beyond. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) like this is just so different. Um, and it was awesome. Cause I was like, Holy hell. Like, 
they're all in the same D&D Beyond thing. Like, they all share their stats with each other, their community, or their uh, immunities and conditions, and mm. the D&D has, or the Dungeon Master has control over it. And I was like, whoa, this is so crazy. Because, <laughs> yeah, it it blew my mind. And I was like, whoa. <sighs> I don't know. I think D&D could look way different. Because I thought mm. D&D Beyond was kind of this cash grab. And now I'm wondering if, like, you know, AR and VR will play a part in... Oh, I don't know. Hypothetically, the future could be <sighs> great for D&D. I just want to have a special shout-out to Matt Mercer's Windows file system. Um, there's a, a video you can find of him giving you, like, a tour of his notes, essentially. Um, I think it was on the Critical Role YouTube channel. And he shows you like these hierarchically organized folder filing systems. Oh my god. But sort of by campaign and then each campaign has like 20 folders with like NPCs, items, character sheets, like every note. And so I think yeah. if if you are Matt Mercer in which case thank you for listening. Um <laughs> and he has such extensive notes like that goes beyond what you could do um realistically by hand. I'm like having to type up these things in, in a timely fashion and copy and pasting reference, like whatever. Um, that's amazing. Because, I mean, obviously, Matt Mercer is amazing. But I think if you, just for the volume of paper, like the thousands of pages he must have generated in his campaign. And, I, and I'm sure there's other D&D DMs uh, in, in a similar boat where they just, they're just prolific. I think that once the tools are there for it, people will definitely move into the digital zone. It's just, there's, like, Evernote and, you know, the iPhone Note and all of those things and Word Docs are just not designed to be this kind of, like, living, breathing reference document for campaigns. And I think... Well, okay, Evernote, I gotta show you how I set it up. Because I got table of contents, I I got it all. Okay, well... In my experience, it's just a lot more difficult to set up than just writing things down on paper, and it's a lot quicker and easier. That's true. Huh. Okay. So okay. I think I think once it gets there, I think it will definitely be there, there. I can I can envision a lot of tools being done digitally in the future if if the work gets put into developing them. Okay. I can see it being great. So for our final info, each of us, I want to explore like how we kind of format our notes and how you kind of nest info into like you know, a small amount of space. Um, so I would ask to each of us, which, which do you think is the most underrated part of your preparation? Underrated. What do you think is something that uh, other Dungeon Masters should use they probably don't use? Um, just in trying to collapse monster stat blocks or, you know, um, themes and scenarios into something you can read at the table. What is something that you think is underrated in that process? I would like to say organization because mm. that is something that I do not do very well. And I, I've had times where I'm just like flipping through my notes. I'm like, where was that piece of information that I wrote down? And it's super helpful to have very organized, like a system to taking detailed notes and planning out your campaigns and information and all that, mm. like having a, system in place where you know where to find things makes things a lot easier yeah and when you don't do that like i do like you can find yourself scrambling at times if you don't know your notes that as well as you think you do i think my advice would be it's more important to understand the 
idea of or maybe the flavor of a situation, of, a, of an NPC, of, a, of whatever, uh, than it is to understand the specific statistical information about them. Hmm. Dang. I think I, I'm going to echo off that. I think it's the same thing. Like, the whole thing of writing, okay, this guy's name is Nestor Rames. Having his accent and mannerisms written down is more important than having his AC and plus attack right. modifier. Um, like, like that's the thing that they care about. That's the thing that, and so I think, um, so many people get caught up on monster stat blocks and how to make them quicker and easier, but it's like, oh, that's the more important thing is the flavor. Like, what is this NPC? What is his first and last name? What does he sound like? What is the, uh, secret they're hiding? Well, that sort of thing, I think. For my type of game, it's more important than the AC and all the other uh, other yeah. stuff. I, I'm annoyed at how much I agree with that, Jake. Um, because <laughs> it, so it's actually incredibly easy to improvise statistical data for monsters. There's a page in the DMG. Yeah. Um, I saw yeah. Mike Merle's uh, screen has this like clips to it, and it just has um, the expected. Statistics, but based on monster CR uh, in every category, it's like a little spreadsheet-looking thing, and so it's like the entire monster manual at your fingertips, essentially. Um, yes, but, yes. And it's much harder to make up really good NPCs. Yes, hundred percent agree. Yeah, there is this improvisation with stats. I, I feel like your players will like your campaign more if you put more care into the NPCs. And the misinformation and the whole arc of the stories more than, you know, the hypothetical stat blocks for monsters they may or may not see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess it, kind of going back to the beginning of you saying there is such time as wasted prep, maybe there is. Yeah, I, I think that, like, if you're really digging into the stats of things, if you're really being like, okay, what's the logical, mathematical outcome of this? <laughs> Instead of thinking, like, okay, what's the story outcome? What's the scenario? What's the... Yeah, I, I think there's, it, that is more important than the stats. Dang, the math. We, we changed Jake's mind. There is such a thing <laughs> as wasted prep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got him. Good like so, David at the start of the episode mentioned that time when his notebook was actually stolen, um, which wouldn't have happened if he had had it safely secured. <laughs> okay. Maybe in some kind of vault. Welcome to the question vault. Each week we answer one of your questions. You can submit your questions to voxercanapodcast at gmail dot com. This week we were asked, "How do you feel about grappling?" Oh, mm, this question doesn't really grab me, guys. I feel restrained. okay. <laughs> okay, this is something that I have struggled with throughout <laughs> my. Okay, because here's the thing: the difference between grappled and restrained is weird, and not. I don't know. It's not this. Like I don't know. I'm having a flashback to, you know, high school wrestling team. And it feels like it's more complicated than that <laughs> in 5e. You know, it's something I've really struggled to get my hands on. All right, guys, come on. <laughs> uh, so if we're asked, how do we feel about grappling? Um, I'll tell you exactly how I feel about it. Um, I have always thought it was just overly complicated and, and unnecessary in the game until I read a little, I don't know if it's a PDF anymore or a website. It's called the, the Grappler's Manual of Grappling. 
Google it and get it and love it. And it's a guy who <laughs> broke D&D 5e and told you how to make a character who does nothing but grapple everything. Just pin ever. people. Yep. Because you, uh, you can eventually, you grapple, they restrain, and then you can grapple again and bring them to the ground prone. And that means all of your allies get advantage on attacks versus that target. And so, um, with that in mind, you can grapple things that are one size category bigger than you. Um, which turns out is a lot of things. And if you use enlarge, then it's everything. Wow. So yeah. Next thing you know, you're choke holding a, a dragon or a Tarrasque in a half Nelson. <laughs> Even in the people's elbow. The, the mad mage himself cannot persevere against this much pure weaponized grappling. <laughs> weaponized. Yeah, that really is. Oh, I found the same thing as well. I, I think the main thing that, um, changed my mind was um the difference between grappled and restrained mm-hmm. which is something i didn't realize i thought if someone did like my athletics check against yours and if i win you're pinned to the ground but there is kind of a two-part process mm-hmm. so you grapple them first which means their movement speed is just zero mm. um so you kind of have the grapple there and then pinning them like making giving them the restrained condition is kind of a different portion of that. And I think once I figured that out, it made sense. Because mm. before that, I had a druid barbarian that was just grabbing people by their necks and pinning them to the wall. And I'm like, that's awesome, but like, holy hell, you can kind of impose disadvantage on anyone you want at any time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty powerful. So. The two-step process, really, once I understood that, it made way more sense, the difference between grappled and pinned, or restrained. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through the rules here, Jake, and I don't see any mention of grapple leading into a restrained. It leads into incapacitated. Incapacitated, that's, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, and, and like, making it a two-step process saved... That whole thing. So I was like, oh my god, you could just have this kind of drunk, you know, dwarf grappler that can kind of just, you know, especially if they get enlarged, can pin down an ancient dragon. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely odd because the game is not really balanced around grapple being a, a valid attack kind of strategy. And the monsters have very, like any monster in the Monster Manual just about has very poor defenses against the grappler. And once they're in, they're pr- probably not getting out. I think the thing is, yeah. uh, as a DM, you should just always grapple the wizard. <laughs> you know, they can't like, I've, I've had a lot of fun with grapple. Once I figure out the mechanics, um, yeah, like having a huge bugbear grapple someone and then try to make them to, you know, because if you have two attacks, I, this could be completely wrong or you guys could shoot me down. But it's like if you have two attacks, you can go like, okay, I grapple them. And if you succeed, you go, okay, I want to pin them. And so it's the same role again, but if you succeed again, it's like, okay, you lower their movement speed to zero and then pin them prone to the ground. It's like, oh, if you can do that, then all the other monsters can, I don't know, I I think grapple is something I just did not understand. And once I did, I kind of saw the elegant beauty of the game design around grappling. (laughs) And now it really grabs you. <laughs> David, come back! Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana, episode 54. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. 
You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, just some variation of Vox Arcana Podcast. Um, if you have any questions or feedback, you could email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like access to our bonus episode feed, you can do so at patreon.com slash voxarcana and get access to our bonus episode feed. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.